0: greetings and welcome to talking trek to you a podcast where a newbie and an expert boldly go through star trek episode by episode my name is kev Kozer and i'm here with my co-host jg McQuarrie. say hi jg
1: hi there kev are you ready to have your mind sliced apart this week
0: I mean, you did strap me to the chair and say uh, we are going to podcast together, so I guess I have no choice but to follow along.
1: Well, you know, after last week's episode, it's, it's you know, every, every opportunity to persuade you to carry on with this project is one that I just have to take uh, into account. So, uh, yes, this week we are going to be covering Dagger of the Mind, but as always, we are not doing it alone, and we have a guest, so say hello, Carl.
2: Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Doing pretty good.
1: Excellent. Are you looking forward to discussing the episode? Yes. (laughs) That that is the correct answer. It would be very disappointing if you said no. um, Anyway, excellent. Good. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Um, As we always do uh, when we have our guests on, uh, we ask you to give us a little bit of history about uh, your relationship with Star Trek and kind of how you got into the show. So, um, yeah, over to you, good self.
2: So, my story always goes that when I was eight years old, my mother took me to see Star Trek Insurrection in theatres. and. I hated it.
1: God, you people are so young. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: no, I was straight up eight years old. I thought it was really boring. Um, I did not like the robot man. I thought he was creepy. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, and then I just kind of swore off track for a long time. Uh, I know in high school we had to watch the season one TNG about the where, whether the crystal was a living being or not. Because so we could discuss it for biology class. Hmm. Just, because it was a season one TNG that just further convinced me the trek was no good, so I just stayed away from it for a long time. Um some point in college saw Wrathicon because, you know, you gotta see Wrathicon, And I was like, oh, damn, okay. This is this is actually something. And then didn't seriously come around to it until twenty sixteen, at which point um I was just kinda like live tweeting whatever old show i was watching and so i have now been live tweeting the entirety of trek for uh almost seven years and we're we've we've gone through every single thing and now it's up to uh i think today i'm going to be finishing season one of picard that's how far it's gone so almost all the way you're you're a brave
1: brave man that's all (laughs) i can say (laughs) there's been some rough patches (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, I too have seen enterprise. yes <laughs> uh, And not, not, not that we should do anything to isolate our our, our enterprise uh, listeners of course.
0: I mean JG just look forward to that in like what 30 years of We Well I don't know, we'll see. <laughs>
1: Yes. Well, uh that's 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 for the future. But let us return ourselves to the present and and crack on with this particular episode. Kev, would you care to give us a summary?
0: All right. Dagger of the Mind. Um the Enterprise is doing a supply drop on a a prison colony which is what Kurt calls it first. Or no, it, it there's some confusion because it's a rehabilitation clinic really. It's I mean some cool future ideas about future prisons and such. We'll get into that. Anyways, at a colony for criminals, and there a Dr. Van Gelder stows a board and runs around the Enterprise trying to warn them about experiments being done on the surface. Kirk and psychologist Helen Noel go down to investigate while Spock and McCoy question Van Gelder. Uh, Kirk and Helen meet uh, Dr. Tristan Adams, who has this machine that he says helps treat insanity uh they investigate the machine further and it turns out it like creates hypnotic suggestions in people and then adams once they discover the secret turns it on kirk well after well after Helen Noah does some light sexual harassment uh <laughs> dr <Sanders> turns it <laughs> on kirk and tries to s- subdue him but kirk is just too strong and resists and is able to snap out of it and they contact the Enterprise, Spock and McCoy have learned about the experiments from our first Vulcan mind meld with uh, Van Gelder, and they sync up, they take down Adams and his whole operation, and then Adams' mind wipes himself in the chair to avoid capture.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yes. Dagger of the Mind. Now, after after having dealt with the, um, the genuine horror of Miri uh last week we we get to come on something which is actually supposed to be horrific this week so um yeah carl let's uh kick off with your good self uh how did you find this one
2: oh i just in terms of quality yeah, yeah oh yeah i mean i thought it was a solid episode it's uh certainly not one of the greats but like it's it holds up um i had not seen it you know in a long time and i did not remember it having quite a few uh sidebar lines that were kind of interesting about penalization and carceral mindsets <laughs> that kind of thing so um that surprised me
1: yeah it's it's a it's sort of funny episode in terms of the it's it's kind of attitude some of it is so unbelievably 1960s and yet some of it is kind of weirdly progressive and some yeah. of it is weirdly regressive as well it's <laughs> kind of everything is very much uh, sort of thrown in the blender with this one but uh kev how did you find it
0: yeah, I also think it's just a very solid episode. Um, like, it kind of averages out to that. I think there's so many fascinating ideas here. I think it kind of takes a little too long getting to those ideas. I would love to have the chair explored further and then have like really fun with it. I think, like not even like a modern as in present day, but even like a Stargate, Farscape era uh, episode of sci fi using like this same idea would like get to the chair faster and have, you know, a little more fun with it if that makes sense but mm-hmm. but still i think the ideas are fascinating i think what a lot of it's trying to say about like psychology and criminal justice i mean it's ambitious at least and yeah it's just there's a lot of the good acting moments in it just some fine thriller stuff i don't know it's this might be like we're nine episodes into this, doing this podcast and i think i've finally settled into a trek episode i'm not having a huge reaction to it because That's I was good. like oh this is like nothing i've ever seen this is and i cannot settle and it's like oh this is good Trek." i know what the baseline for that is now
2: it's kind of i felt like it was kind of defined by the fact that the penal colony is called tantalus penal colony like it's all progressive yeah. and stuff at the end of the day you're fundamentally naming yourself after tantalus <laughs> like,
1: yeah yeah <laughs> okay yeah the clues are kind of there yeah. <laughs> but I do think that, um, I do think, I, I kind of have a sort of affection for this, which is slightly nostalgic, mm. and I'm going to counter Carl's uh, story of seeing uh, Insurrection when you were just unspeakably young. That just makes me <laughs> feel terrible. Um, so I, I had a friend uh, who had this on VHS tape mm. back in the 1980s, because I'm very old um and it was one of those you know you got like two episodes uh, per cassette and this was one of them and so i've probably seen this actually more than most episodes of star trek and i just i don't quite know what it is but it, it does kind of get under my skin a little bit in a way that i don't think is just sort of purely sort of nostalgic or, like, remembering sitting on a friend's living room floor drinking, like, orange squash and watching Star Trek. It's it's something about it that just slightly, I don't know, gets a little bit... I, like I said, under my skin. I, I don't quite know where it is because, um, like, Kev, you mentioned, like, oh, you know, it's got things to say about the criminal justice system. I wonder what those things are because <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I Funnily enough, I don't know that this is anything to say about the criminal justice system. I think it's about and set in the criminal justice right. system. Um, um, but a lot of that is then kind of subsumed into those kind of very sort of 1960s ideas of sort of like individuality and what it means to be the person that you are. And it sort of stops being about... How we treat prisoners and it starts being about this kind of you know well are we just defined by our memories and who are we and it kind of it goes a little bit not existential that would be grossly overselling right. it, but it, it it has that kind of you know that that more psychological element i suppose and kind of moves yeah, away from uh, like the initial kind of criminal justice stuff
2: it like it, it poses questions and doesn't have answers and i don't mm-hmm. think a story is required to do the latter but it does kind of fall into this thing of just like it poses a lot of interesting questions. And then it's like, Badman does a very obviously bad thing, and we have to stop him. And that's about the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: Um, Yeah, I was, I guess what I mean by this criminal justice stuff, it's like, you're right, it is very fully dropped by the end because of what you said, Carl, sort of Badman yeah. does a bad thing. And that sort of simplifies all the moral quandaries going on. But just, I don't know, maybe being. Before my parents' time, even really the '60s, I maybe I don't know how radical this truly is, but that we're even talking at the top of the episode about prison as the reform as opposed to like a penal system, and like Kirk being like, ah, oh, it's the, I, I'm blanking. I can't remember what century we're in in this show, but you know, it's twenty-third. Okay, twenty-third century. Yeah, we don't punish criminals anymore. This is what we do. Uh, we reform them.
2: I can attest it was definitely a conversation in the uh atmosphere because of stuff like the uh 68 riots mm. um i have old playboy issues which always have oh. really fascinating articles buried in there uh yeah. i know i've got an issue well, from well covered 66 or 67 that like actually is like a like it would play today as a modern a cab article like hmm. about just like how much cops suck <laughs> like, yeah I mean, like there's yeah. there's like the discussions were out there <laughs>
0: I guess it's just one of those things then where it's just like cyclical history. It's like we make progress in some areas, but in some ways we just keep repeating and are still stuck in the same conversations. But Uh,
2: old playboy magazines really fascinating for exactly that sort of thing. They got like a open letter forum section and you can read what the abortion debates were like in the sixties. It's Mm -hmm. not that different. Oh no.
1: (laughs) I think one of the interesting things about the way that Kirk responds to um, the way that the penal colony is set up is interesting because he's really set out to be slightly reactionary. He has that line about, Oh, well, you know, they're more like resorts now. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know, I, I can't speak for America, but like there's, there's, that's definitely a thing which exists in the UK that, Oh, you know, prisoners are treated far too leniently and, you know, they get away with murder and they're not really being punished and, and uh, all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of interesting to hear Kirk being given that line about uh, yeah oh well you know the resorts but then they kind of in setting him up with that slightly reactionary kind of uh, line they then kind of go on and say well no actually they are genuinely trying to do something which helps mm-hmm. the prisoners yeah. and then it goes on again to be to become this kind of more sort of more horrific thing and and there there is like a genuine through line as to the way the script wants the audience to react to what's being discussed. It does definitely fall away about halfway through the episode, but those are early scenes um, where they are discussing, you know, like different approaches to, to criminality uh, and what's really interesting, really fascinating and I think never, ever picked up on again is like Kirk says, oh yeah, I've been to loads of them and he it, there's no explanation we don't know why Kirk's been to these penal colonies but it's just it's a lovely little background detail that we get for him that that doesn't require like loads of exposition or anything it's just it's just a thing that he has done whether it's when he was a lieutenant or whether you know something he did before he, we don't know and that's nice it's such a lovely way of kind of fleshing out his character but it also helps to reinforce the fact that he actually has an opinion which is based on experience yeah. rather than you know, received opinion or prejudice or anything else.
2: McCoy's reply to the, uh, resort line is also like a really good, perfect bones line. I was so good. I wrote it down. He just goes, "A cage is a cage, Jim. I'm like, that's it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we should talk about McCoy in this episode. He's like, he's always really good, but I don't know. I just really had, I just really enjoyed how he was pushing back on Kirk here. And, uh, got a lot of great mccoy and spock stuff when they were sort of on their own story it's i like divorce kelly doesn't have much to do I, and now i'm like i say that but now i'm struggling to think of like one standout moment it's more of just like the vibe kelly is bringing I which really maybe doesn't like yeah um
2: i really like the bit where he just straight up kind of like goes behind kirk's back right in front of him and it's just like well, yeah. I'm going to have to report this as a questionable medical thing and you're going to have to deal with it. Sorry, Jim. And Jim is just respectably like,
1: yeah, I mean, that's the way it works around here. <laughs> <laughs> but it is good to see that pushback. Yep. though. It is good to see that it's, it's not just like Kirk gets to throw his weight around and that's the end of the story. Like we get to see like McCoy really doing his job. Like you said, Kev, like it's a vibe it's, rather than any in, initial sort of big standout moment or anything. But it's just the way that he's like, this is my job. I know about this yeah. stuff. You don't. Therefore that's what we're doing. End of story. And like by the end of that conversation, he looks at Spock and Spock kinda nods and goes, Yeah, McCoy's right. So that it's kind of it's very un- it's very understated, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, yeah, you 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 gotta do this now.
2: One of the things I think that makes TOS such a fundamentally great show, and this episode is not a great example of it. There's better ones out there, but there's still some of it in there, which is that Spock and Kirk, or Spock and McCoy are like the angel and the devil on Kirk's shoulder a lot of the time, and their disagreements are always a bit, you know, Spock is the much more highfalutin, you know, the, the ethical theory, and McCoy is the very pragmatic, like, well, this is what it's doing to people. And the two of them tend to fight on either side of Kirk, and then Kirk is the one who has to, like, take some kind of action that threads the needle. Um, This is not one of those episodes, but it, it, it kind of, it's yeah. still built into the characters. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally, like one of the reasons this show is on, to the test of time. I mean, obviously, great sci-fi ideas and wonderful prop design and everything, but just you have this foundational core of these three characters, all wonderfully performed and all like supporting each other, like they form that sort of id ego super ego triangle in such a yeah.
1: satisfying way yeah absolutely and i think so you said sort you of mentioned performances there kev I, I really want to um mention um you sort of talked a little bit about the forest kelly and he's brilliant that's just yeah. never not going to be the case um but i really like shatner's performance in this episode oh, yeah. as well because he gives a really um varied performance Mm -hmm. he gets lots of different little beats to play and he pretty much lands all of them i love the moment in the transporter room uh when uh noel says to him the the christmas party and it like prompting yeah yeah yeah, i remember (laughs) and it's just it's such a small beat but those little moments like shatner doesn't really get credit for those little things but he doesn't overplay it it's not a big eye roll oh yeah i remember he underplays it if anything yeah yeah. it just like very quickly moves on it's a lovely little beat yeah and when he's um when he's going through like all the chair stuff could be terrible. That could play right into kind of, you know, the enemy within Shatner, like, screamingly over the top, but he, he doesn't really do that, and even the even the stuff with um, with Noelle when he's been told to love her forever, like, that could be incredibly kind of cringeworthy, but he pretty much gets away with it. That's maybe not his best bit of the episode, but he still pretty much pulls it off, and I, I really love how much kind of variegation there is to, to his performance in this episode.
2: It's really fascinating yeah. how he totally sells that mind control room Kind of by mm-hmm. himself. You have that mm. oppressive sound effect, and then you just have Shatner acting, and there's no other special effects going on. And you still kind of really believe that, like, there's some stuff going on in that room. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. I feel like we talk about Shatner's performance every discussion, every episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, it really it is. You know, <laughs> he he's a performer, and it's a performance yeah. that, like, kind of always demands you talk about it, mostly for better, but sometimes for ill, but still you just always have to come back to it what i love about him in this one is yeah he's underplaying it a lot he is taking the quieter route in a lot of situations like with the chair like you said he's not going full hand but he's doing i mean he's obviously exerting himself but doing it in a different way than you'd expect but like post chair really strikes me where he's like very vulnerable and soft yeah, yeah. it's it's such a it flies sort of in the face of the parody of him where you can just build him up to just as the blustering hammy guy.
2: But he did have a lot of range on the show. The, uh, the last line of this episode, he just absolutely nails, which is the, uh, not mm-hmm. when you've sat in that room, which of course
1: I can't do as well as he did.
2: Yeah. It just completely sells, like, the entire experience you just went through. It's so good.
1: <laughs> well, and I think you can see the way that he's responding to how Kirk is written in this episode as well. Because the way that Kirk has written through, particularly, like, maybe from about one quarter to about three quarters of the way through the episode, pretty much until he's put in the chair, it really plays to this idea that Kirk is, is, intellectually curious. Like he doesn't need to keep pulling on these mm. threads. Like he's got an expert there, even aside from the fact that she's a beautiful woman that McCoy has intentionally put in his way, um, you know, which is normally enough to knock him off his, uh, you know, off task, shall we say. Um, she's recommending to him that everything is fine. The medical expert is recommending that everything is fine. Like he doesn't, but there's something there, there's something inside Kirk, whether it's the, the, the doubt that McCoy has seeded in his mind earlier on when he says something about it doesn't ring true or whatever, but there's a there's a kind of restless curiosity there. He won't stop until he's satisfied it and it keeps him digging and it keeps him digging until eventually Kirk kind of figures out what's going on. And I think you can see how the Shatner reacts to that and, 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 is able to pull in those kind of characterizations of of the way that, you know, Kirk isn't just a brash ladies' man. He isn't just, you know, a two fisted action hero. There's other stuff going on as well. He's also those things, but he's not only those things. And this is, I think that's one of the reasons I really like this episode, is because we do get to see that kind of much more uh, intellectually curious side of Kirk, which isn't written to all that often.
0: I, uh, to go back to him and McCoy's relationship, I mean, I think that just speaks to how... That just speaks to sort of the understated things that we were discussing, where McCoy seeds the doubt when Kirk is just fully on board with this. But when the doubt is seeded, he's going to follow it through. And that just speaks to sort of the trust they have with each other. And I mean, not in this episode as much, but like the trust uh, Kirk and Spock have with each other as well. It's just so... Such compelling elements to this whole show. And yeah, I I do like that what you were saying, JG. That is kirk unraveling the thread through his own persistence it's really um i mean yeah it's you can uh point holes on the face of it sort of like why is he getting in this dangerous chair and running this on himself that's insane but you know as television it's like compelling
1: it's great and it's backed up by um, Leonard Nimoy's performance as well. Nimoy is really interesting in this episode. I mean, you mentioned, uh, I think, Kev, that you know, it's our first Vulcan mind meld, um, which is a big deal in terms of uh, you know Star Trek lore. But it's, it's also sort of fascinating to both watch what he's doing and also sort of watch the rest of it as well. Because I think one of the things about sort of exploring the series the way that we're doing it, is that we have to be kind of conscious of the fact that if you were watching this in, in in the 1960s you know the vulcan mind meld is is just such a pop culture kind of thing now like everyone knows what a mind meld is even if you've never seen an episode of star trek um and this is the first time so that carries a bit of weight watching it the way that we're watching it with that kind of cultural knowledge but i think watching it sort of contemporaneously you would really. Uh, there is. It's. It's well directed. All that stuff and really well acted by Nimoy. He does a really great job of kind of like pulling out the strangeness and the the sheer oddity and all the even the, like the preamble with with McCoy about how personal it is and that he's never done it in a human before and all that kind of stuff. It has a real it's discombobulating. It's disconcerting in a way that kind of still works even with kind of all that kind of, sort of cultural knowledge that we have from, from our perspective. But, but McCoy's slight doubts aren't, aren't the kind of, again, it's not the overplayed, oh, green blooded this, that, and the other. Like he's genuinely concerned. He's genuinely doesn't really understand what's going to happen. And, and the episode leans into that doubt, but elsewhere, Nemoy is like like especially when he gets down to the planet like he's angry when he pulls like the lock off a box he's very obviously amused when he finds kirk you know in a clinch with noel um all this kind of stuff it, you know it's just it's a it's a an unlike and improbably broad performance that he's given and yet he still has this way of capturing it as all spock And it's really great at the top of the episode, he said, oh, we've eliminated emotion, and so there's no emotion, there's no reason for violence. And then spends the rest of the episode being incredibly emotional.
2: (laughs) That's the Um, great Spock, uh, the great Spock, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, Contradiction? Conundrum, not conundrum, contradiction. It's a beautiful contradiction in that character. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk
0: about the mind meld moment a little more I think it's very fascinating uh, first I want to get into this fun trivia that I read which I don't think is very properly sourced so I guess take a grain of salt but it was originally going to be just straight up hypnosis which 60s and 70s shows just love doing like <laughs> oh, this character just hypnotizes a person I mean like the master Doctor Who comes to mind instantly of that sort of thing but then the reasons why it's it's a very funny combination of reasons where both how they realize well that's not how hypnosis actually works that's not how it can really be depicted and also we're afraid of hypnotizing the viewers at home which
1: it's <laughs> <laughs> such a 1960s concern isn't you know, it?
0: it's it's like it's like the kind of this episode the show in itself in a nutshell where it's just like thinking ahead and also being stuck in the past at the same time. But anyways, so they invent the sort of sci-fi explanation instead. And they do such a good job hyping it up, too. Like Spock like being very reluctant to use it, saying it's an ancient tradition he hasn't used on humans. Like it gives, like in the hypnosis method, it's just, I guess, a Spock holds a watch in front of his eyes and they get the info they need. It, it's so much more interesting to have this sort of science fiction thing with like lore and history attached to it lore history that has never been discussed before obviously because this is it's being invented for this in this a moment minor, and, yeah. yeah
2: a minor thing i found really interesting that i cannot recall ever coming up again is that spock says that the putting your fingers on the face is so you can do something involving pressure changes in the nerves and blood vessels and like i don't think they've ever said you know they've ever brought that up again anytime anyone does a mind meld it's just kind of like a fascinating yeah. bit of like realistic like there's a basis to doing this
0: <laughs> yeah another i mean another questionably sourced but hopefully it's accurate thing is that um spock was really gonna place his hands on the stomach uh, i don't know what <laughs> changed that but the, the face is just a great obviously they have that explanation you, you said carl that they yeah. just wrote in there to put it in there but it's just such a great visual choice that i'm glad it's not just the stomach it's uh, <laughs> i mean it's iconic truly it is the, uh,
2: very funny bit of history repeating itself the same thing almost happened on ds9 the um when you get to ds9 the bajoran priests can read somebody's paw which i'm not going to bother explaining but they do it by feeling your earlobes and it was <laughs> originally going to be by massaging people's feet Oh no! After, after they filmed that in the pilot episode, they were like, "You know what? We got to change this." And they were. The good <laughs> yeah. Quentin Tarantino was getting too interested, so. Uh... <laughs>
1: <the> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, oh god, yeah! I'm so glad they didn't go with the stomach. Cause, yeah, I sense that you're hungry. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I think we were all spared something there. But like that again, it's such a. 60s thing, like, like you know, it like the pressure, like, like it's acupuncture or something, or kind of some something which would be kind of entering the cultural zeitgeist around the mid-60s, but which doesn't really have much of a broader understanding. But again, I think that's one of the reasons that the show is so compelling because it does filter these concerns. Like you said, Kev, with the hypnosis. It was something that was around. It was a big deal. I think this is probably the time I certainly, I don't know how uh, broad awareness was out out with sort of uh, uh, general knowledge. But um, I suppose, you know, like, you know, like the CIA trying to hypnotize people so they could, uh, you know, assassinate Castro or, <laughs> you know, infiltrate the USSR or whatever it was. Like, all of that stuff was just around in the zeitgeist. And yet one of the things that makes Star Trek compelling, um, even to this day, is that it has a way of kind of filtering that through a sci-fi lens, which just works it just becomes compelling and i think that's why things like the like the pressure points and acupuncture and like that it just that that kind of that through line is there but it's not lent on too hard you know we don't get a line from mccoy about how oh well you know back in the 20th century wink wink it's it's just it's allowed to stand as it is without further explanation and that's absolutely the right kind of way of of handling that
0: i mean yeah i think i fully agree i think that's kind of what's made hypnosis as a concept age badly in fiction, and yeah, I I just love how Trek is willing to actually make these sort of modern, more in-universe sort of solutions sometimes, and sometimes not. But when they do, it, it's it's <laughs> stuff that stands the test of time.
1: Well, absolutely, and this is something that we've not really mentioned before, but it, it's one thing I love about Star Trek, and I kind of generally love about Silver Age sci-fi. Now, if you want to say that I'm wrong on this, then please, feel free to get stuck in. But I love the episode title, Dagger Mm. of the Mind. That's such a lovely title for an episode, and Star Trek's got loads of them, which kind of follow. My absolute Uh, favourite is For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. That is such a it's not the best episode it's fine but that's such a beautiful title and i love all that and like uh, like ursula Le Guin's, uh the word for world is forest and mm. all those kind of all those kind of like silver age sci-fi um like naming convention obviously uh, obviously dagger of the mind is is shakespeare's macbeth um, but I love that way we're going to get to Conscience of the King in a couple of episodes yeah. as well which is another lovely episode title so I just, it's, it, I, there's no elegant way of shoehorning this into any episode discussion so I'm just sticking it in here but I just, I, I love that, I love that kind of slightly literate but not, not too pretentious kind of way of, of sort of naming episodes yeah. and stuff, I think it's an absolute delight and it's it's another reason that I just adore this show.
0: I mean the there is a literate quality to this episode as a whole. Though we have, as mentioned, the colony is named Tantalus, which is a Greek myth about someone in the underworld who can't reach food or can't drink water.
2: Um, that's like always. Oh, uh, yeah, the therapist running around was named Lethe. Yeah, a very funny. Terrible name for a therapist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, because that's the river of forgetfulness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. <laughs> Bad name for a therapist, great name, I guess, for someone brainwashed. If That's your little clue there. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think that's almost, I guess, the pressure that a lot of these works were under for decades, which is we have to seem literate so we're not dismissed. Like, look at us referencing Macbeth. That means we're worth paying attention to and not just. Uh, like saturday afternoon cheapo stuff
1: absolutely and and sort of harking back to our our previous podcast um that was very very true the uk as well a lot of uh very early sci-fi uh that was produced by the bbc were just straight up literary adaptations of things like uh hg wells and jules verne and it was because it lent it that sheen of credibility it was that idea that if well if you're doing literature it's not silly and by that point, you know, things like, yeah, Vern Wells, uh, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, all that kind of stuff. It was established as, you know, being worthwhile. And and I think that's maybe a little less true in American TV because American TV comes from, uh, we've talked about it before in the podcast, but it comes from very different roots uh, from, from sort of British sci-fi. Um, but there's still, yeah, having that kind of literary credibility that sheen of of respectability makes a big difference and it it definitely is something which which helps to draw people in and uh, you know it's it's well known you know gene roddenberry was sourcing like proper writers not just tv writers not just sci-fi writers not just western writers but like people who had real kind of cachet within uh within the kind of literary community to 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 try and come right for 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 his show yeah i think the writer of this episode i think
0: is more of a journeyman t v writer what's the name again yes. Shyman. Bar Win- David is the pen name of Shyman Winchelberg Winchelberg. <laughs> i don't know why he took a pen name for his trek, but um yeah, he's like i mean I used to look at his television resume and it's like western after Western after western
2: <laughs> but
0: um but he also got some a lot of lost in space uh some uh an episode of combat so like not just westerns but yeah that's i guess that's just what was popular then um but yeah he's i i don't know if he's like will ever be a name that goes down in history maybe outside of like because he wrote some episodes of star trek
1: i think it's, it's unlikely
0: yeah it's still just you can tell there's like an effort being paid to this is not just a paycheck i'm going to like try to flex ideas in here and that's i mean appreciated I guess if, the, if we're stalling right now, uh, do we want to talk about Helen Noel? Because that's a very significant character in this. And it, I suppose,
1: yeah, we have to, right?
0: <laughs> kind of have to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it is interesting how they have to sort of write around the sixties of it all, where it's not clear at first if they hooked up or not, and then I think it's established later that I guess they didn't, and just like flirted really hard at that party, and she wishes they did, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well there's the sixties of it. Well that's like kind of silly to have a woman <laughs> sort of fawning over Kirk like that. But then also just like obviously trying to create a sexual chemistry and connection there without being able to straight up mention yeah. it.
2: Also that like uh having a woman be the instigator and being the one who was like, I kind of wanted this to happen was yeah. somewhat progressive for the time. It's in that Gene Roddenberry, Hugh Hefner sort of sex positive. Yeah. More sort of than sex positive. Sex positive, but like just trying to skip over the second wave of feminism and get straight to the third. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean,
0: yeah, it it doesn't exactly hold to a progressive lens, but you can see the sort of shadow like, like you said, where it sort of gets to the third wave in a little bit. You can sort of see the shadow of um yeah i mean it's a woman who knows what she wants and like it's what she's doing is a bad thing but it's <laughs> we're trying to hypnotize him into thinking they hooked up but it's so um <laughs> it's it's fun yeah I and mean, we're laughing about it like it's yeah. it's a far cry from like what they do to poor rand you know what i mean yeah. oh, if we're God. gonna have like 60s sexism in star trek i'd rather it be like in a fun soapy kind of way like this than plenty of other examples yeah
1: well, and I think Mariana Hill does a good job as Noel as well. She actually manages to give her a bit of personality, which helps a yeah. lot. Honestly, I mean, I mean we've we've talked about Grace Lee Whitney before in the show and and you know, we we love her performance, but her character is always underwritten. I think I think um, Lieutenant Noel gets more kind of character development in the sort of 25 minutes of screen time that she has here than Rand probably got across her entire run, which which also says something as well. But I also like the fact that um again it's you can just feel the tension of, of the character being pulled in different directions. Like when they're in that elevator that suddenly, you know, drops down after they've beamed to the planet. Like she kind of goes, Woo! And jumps into Kirk's arms because oh. the elevator is going terribly fast. I thought it was. Uh, but like, sorry, I thought it
0: was the other way around. I thought he was the one jumping to her. Was I not paying attention? Maybe, or it's, maybe it's I mutual?
1: It's, I think it's uh, maybe mutual is the most generous uh, interpretation. But like later on, she she gets to like right. you know she's a, she's attacked uh, when she's at the power lines, um, but she gets to save the day. Like she brings the shield down, and like even when she's been attacked, she gets to get uh she gets to kick that guy who eventually dies in the on the wires whatever and she's not just this like passive reactive character she stands up for herself like when kirk says have you ever dealt with what is it uh, mega voltage lines or whatever they are yeah. um and she and she says no but she goes anyway and she damn well gets the job done yeah. and you know and that it, it's you know and but at the same time she gets a kind of a
2: entrance when
1: she's she's brought in and, you know, she gets the the shot and the short skirt and the legs are out and all that. So, uh, yeah, it's very much a character being pulled in in different directions, I think it's fair to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's one thing you can say about Modern Trek, at least specifically Strange New Worlds, is that now the men and the women and people of all genders get objectified. So, that's that's (laughs) how we've achieved equality. That's
2: what um, Gene Ron always wanted. It, yeah, it's
0: got <laughs> it. Uh, you can make so many great jokes about how Strange New Worlds is the show that Gene wanted. <laughs> but
1: um That's that's for our twenty thirty two podcast guys. Exactly.
0: Uh but yeah, he's I, I do think she's like an interesting character. She holds her own. To I just bring it back to Rand for a second, another thing I was seeing is that this was written for Rand and then the unfortunate circumstances around her departure kicked in around this time. But you could really love, I mean, this would have been a great role for Rand. It it would have actually given her some depth for once. And yeah. it's very tragic that that was then kind of cut short. Um, But yeah i do i just like noel it's it's a shame i guess she doesn't appear again because she's a very fun character
1: i think it's interesting actually in in terms of characters that don't appear again how little of the central cast is kind of established we get uhura in this episode and you know she doesn't get an awful lot to do but you know she's there she's competent she's at the back and michelle Nichols does really good i'm not the focus of this scene acting and then this episode like she just really casually gets on with looking like she knows what the hell is going on whilst uh, uh shatner has to do his kind of like well what's going on down at the colony kind of like main stage stuff uh she's really really good at it but again, like we have no Scotty, he was too expensive for this episode. We have no Sulu. We have no kind of. Uh, we don't even have Nurse Chapel in this. You know, we have no supporting cast at all in terms of the regulars, other than uh, other than Ahura. Everyone else is absent, and and again, we end an episode with Kirk telling Spock warp factor one you've got a navigator there mate like let him do his job (laughs) that's bad management that's what that (laughs) is but it's just it's it's interesting how i mean yeah this is episode nine it's interesting how how little of kind of like that established core is present at this point
0: yeah i mean i guess it's just it'll happen through time you know more than me but it's just fascinating um a couple weeks before we that Carl, you you were there. We saw Wrath of Khan in theaters together as part of that fandom uh, event. And of course, by the movies comes out, like it's like a cast of seven or so. It's uh, everyone is so iconic and getting a big moments. And obviously, the focus is Kirk first, Spock and McCoy second, and then everyone else. But still, like the idea that there are episodes without your Sulu and Scotty, and that Chekhov doesn't even come in for a whole season is just it's it's kind of crazy how. This cast is slowly getting bit up built up by this point, yeah um but yeah i like I said, I do like what Hura is doing here. I think Nichelle Nichols is just already so locked into the role um i maybe it's for Scotty's benefit though that he's was cut. I do like the moment with Kirk correcting the little transporter guy I, that is a nice moment that yeah and it,
1: it's another yeah. lovely little beat from Shatner as well. He's mm-hmm. really good in that scene
0: yeah, it's uh. Yeah, it's just really fantastic. Um, I think that is just another thing that this show does well that maybe it would always be, again, successful with just the sci-fi ideas and uh, production design and all, but just the little moments that the writing gives to the characters and then the actors deliver, I think is what really elevates this. It's the moments like that that make this show really worth watching and discussing.
1: That sounds like a perfect wrap-up moment, but there's one thing we haven't discussed. And I feel that we would be remiss if we glossed over uh, Morgan Woodward's eye-rolling lunatic of a performance (laughs) as, as Dr. Simon Van Gelder. Because everyone else in this episode is great. Shatner is knocking out the park. Nimoy and Kelly are fantastic. Mariana Hill is doing great work as as, uh, as Noel. Everyone is yeah. doing great. like even the little bit park actor. Yeah. like the guy that's got the blank face when when Kirk first goes in and he's just acting like he's obviously been done by the machine as well, but they don't yeah. overemphasize it. Lovely little bit part role. Great, fantastic. And then we have Morgan Woodward. And he's so bad. He's terrible. Yeah. And I know that that's a difficult role. Like, like, like screaming Looney number three is always a hard role to cast for and a hard role to perform. But boy is he the wrong person for this. And like I know he's gonna go on. He's gonna have a, a very uh, successful career. He's in Cool Hand Look. There's you know, like he's like he's a good actor but not in this
0: I uh, i mean before we go in further i just you didn't shout out james gregory as tristan adams i don't think we need to go spotlight him just i just want to give him the aside of yeah he's great too he's a great yeah, little oh, villain yeah. just <laughs> a it's good a... little
2: like I, I know what i'm doing here bastard type role it's great right
0: <laughs> um but yeah morgan woodward yeah you're right he is uh just all over the place um this is a very uh reading trivia Wikipedia wikipedia memory how alpha heavy episode but i just have to shout out how both uh sites uh cite him as like needing time to recover from this role because he went too deep <laughs> the very uh <laughs> the joker performance of its time
1: <laughs> i mean joke performance sure yeah
0: <laughs> but yeah it's you're right he's 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 lacking what Shatner has in terms of the like, modulating intensity. He's just going at 11 at all times and it just grates on you. It doesn't have nuance or depth to it.
2: Also, the character, like, as written, doesn't ever really have a big explosive moment either, so it's like it's the, the 11 is all kind of all for naught. Like, he kind of, you know, he gets mind melded, he's laying in a bed half the
1: episode, like, <laughs> it's... Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm going to ask this question because I genuinely can't remember what happens to him.
0: He <laughs> so he gets mind melded and we don't see him again. There's a line at the very end that he's taken over the facility and everything's all good. Thumbs
1: up. Ah, uh, that's that was the bit that was. It says something given. That I you know I probably watched this episode you know over a dozen times. I suddenly thought, what what does happen to him? Where where does he go? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. He's performed the mind meld scene. All right. And um, all right. See you in the canteen. Uh, That's it. It's just like, but that's no more than the character deserves.
0: I mean, maybe they realized the performance wasn't working and they didn't want to shoot a wrap up scene with him.
1: (laughs) That would be fair. Uh, Very much. so.
0: I mentioned him briefly earlier, James Gregory as Dr. Adams. Uh, I mean, yeah good performance very solid i just want to talk about the ending of the episode i think uh just how he dies is a very cool death it's just turning his own creation against him so he doesn't get caught is just it's always a trope i love when the villain would rather go down than get captured and yeah. it's it's just done with such elegance you walk into the room and he's on the floor
1: it's it's a lovely moment and 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 we so very again briefly mentioned it earlier but that that kind of wrap-up line with Kirk saying you know uh, or McCoy rather saying you know I don't believe anyone could die of loneliness and mm-hmm. uh, Kirk saying well that's because you haven't sat in the chair but I think a lot of it does come down to the performance that he gives as just this like empty hollowed out person who then eventually dies and it's it's tragic isn't quite the right word, but it kind of is a sort of Shakespearean tragedy in that he's kind of brought down by his own hubris. You know, he believes in this machine and this machine is ultimately the thing that destroys him. So <laughs> actually, I suppose in that sense, it is a proper tragedy. Um, but it's just such a... I don't know. There's something... I mean, it's certainly it's an appropriate ending, but I want to say there's something kind of... It, it feels very right for this episode because it's not an easy get out it would have been easier to have him for example be shot by uh spock and then have to go into rehabilitation himself that would have also been a kind of um appropriate ending for him or it would have had a a degree of catharsis or or whatever uh but they don't take the easy way out this time and having him sort of taken care of that way and, and and like literally dying of loneliness that's such a there's something almost poignant about it. Maybe that's too maybe do you think I'm overreading that a wee bit, but it it just I don't know. It 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 gives an an unexpected kind of dramatic weight to the end of the episode.
0: No. Shatner saying without even a tormentor for company, that hits hard. It's a <laughs> yeah. Great line and yeah, I think it's just such a great way to go. The idea of being so like lonely and brain attacked that you're just have to give up. I think that concludes our discussion, so let's uh fully put the bow on it by giving our little ratings out of 10 just for fun. Um I'm going with 7 this week. I think like I said it's kind of baseline and the baseline for track I feel is good. It's 7 good. So <laughs> I mean baseline doesn't mean average necessarily. I think this was especially since my ratings are sort of given compared to like TV in general not just Trek it against itself. So yeah,
2: seven that's what i'm feeling i'm gonna cheat it slightly and do a 6.5 uh, um i it's i i like uh you know i i think this is a fine one and then there's some mm. interesting good stuff going into it um and i'm tempted to give it a seven also just because i was swayed by all the old school which i really miss just the, like bright colors mm. <laughs> and the the set the set design um so I was really pulled in by a lot of that But it's like, you know, in relation to other TOS episodes And TOS episodes from this season alone even It's kind of a 6.5 So,
1: yeah, that's where I land I'm going to cheat slightly as well But I'm going to go in the other direction I'm going to give it a 7.5 um, I I don't know I just, I I find myself really liking it I think one more draft could have really yeah. knocked this one out mm-hmm. of the park it, it needs a way to tie the uh the stuff about the criminal justice system at the beginning together with the stuff about uh sort of identity and and who we are capital letters at the end it doesn't really get there and, and that's a shame but at the same time i don't know i i i, I like it never underestimate the uh impact of a really good sound effect that's the thing like yeah. just the sound effect oh, and the light so going good. round. that's, that's just it so effective it yeah exactly exactly that it that's all it takes and i i don't know there's there's a lot of power in that so mm-hmm. i'm gonna go for seven and a half
0: i am outvoted in my anti 0.5 stance I <laughs> oh. <don't laughs> Yeah yeah yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> just just you wait until next week at and andrew's on and We're then sorry, you'll Andrew, have a real yeah. point 0.5 argument yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: all right well that about does it for our discussion of dagger of the mind let's go to recommendations uh, i feel like i'm stepping your toes JJ. you usually do this
1: <laughs> that's absolutely fine um well uh, you've, you've mentioned me so i'm just gonna take the floor and i'm gonna go first um i'm gonna do one of my sort of not really a recommendation but i think it's interesting recommendations which is uh gonna be she-hulk now I'm saying this in, uh, at time of recording I think there's still two episodes left I think we're at episode four now and I oh, think it's a r- we're halfway
0: yeah. through actually it's a nine episode season
1: oh it's a nine episode season okay there we go um, I think it's a really interesting approach I'm not completely sure that it works but I really admire the, the idea that they're going for kind of a low stakes low impact kind of show what I think works about it is beyond question, uh Tatiana maslany who is just brilliant. I adore art from Black beyond all reason. It's such a brilliant show. She's such a good actor. I love her. And so that is a major, major, major plus point. I like the fact that they are are intentionally writing towards the idea that it is essentially inconsequential, which also means that it's inconsequential. But I kinda quite like that. It's so nice to have a show which is sort of MCU-based, which isn't vastly about, you know, universe-ending paradigms and and bloody blah, blah blah And I guess Miss Marvel kind of did, did that as well to an extent. It's much more low-key, much more family-based. But I really enjoy the idea that uh, She-Hulk is trying to be more uh, casual about the way that it's mainstream. And I just wish that they had made it a sitcom i think that's the there's a weird tension between it and the mcu and between it and what i think it's actually trying to be and what i actually think it's trying to be is like friends or frasier or news radio or one of those kind of like mid to late 90s kind of sitcoms and if we had like 26 episodes of Tatiana Maslany just basically bumming around trying to find a suit that fits her and and dealing with copyright law like I'd be so down for that but I think there's a problem with the hangout vibe of the show and I think that's really what it is I think it's a hangout show but you can't really do a hangout show in six episodes or nine episodes or whatever like you that those shows need to be expansive like talking about star trek but like next gen is basically a hangout show you know and 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 uh, insurrection is a hangout movie to go back to 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 what that's what it is i mean it's a peak hangout show it's it's released bang in the middle of like uh, like the like friends as uh, cultural peak that's what insurrection is it's not a great thing to take an eight-year-old to but that's what that movie <laughs> is you know um and and uh, and i think that's kind of the vibe that she-hulk has it's got this kind of really kind of relaxed casual but i don't know it doesn't it doesn't really gel but i think it's interesting so that's that's gonna be my that's gonna be my stab for this one got it
0: um I know we don't always comment on each other's recommendations and we rarely comment on a disagreement, but I need to speak up here. (laughs) First, I love that you like it. I don't want to, like, rain on your parade and be one of the people where it's like, well, you're obviously watching it wrong. I despise (laughs) She-Hulk. I I think it's... And, I mean, let's just say humor is the most subjective thing in the world, and I just rarely laugh at it. It's a hangout show where I don't... Uh, Tatiana Maslani is great, and I do love Josh Segarra as her, like, basically importing his other two character into this show, as well as, like, sort of dopey uh, co-worker lawyer. I don't know if any other element of the show works for me. I think every joke falls flat. Um, I like it when Benedict Wong is around, I guess, and Tim Roth also has a fun vibe. Like, some of the guest stars have been fun, but they don't really have jokes to deliver beyond just existing. I think every fourth wall break is eye-rolling to the extreme. I just...
1: But that's part of She-Hulk. She-Hulk does not she... like the... Like, 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 the comic yeah. breaks a fourth wall as well. Yeah, that, yeah. That's literally part of the DNA I, of the show. I, think... I get it if it's not your thing, but that is part of what the show is. Let me
0: clarify. I like breaking the fourth wall in a lot of situations. I love Fleabag, for example, I think does it beautifully. I think specifically what they choose to break the fourth wall for is just... Look at us, we're doing a bee story. I'm like, yes, I know how scripts are structured. I just I the the specific comments Maslani they're making Maslani make are just eye rolling to me. Like they're clearly trying for the flea bag vibe where Phoebe waller Bridge is like such a magnetic presence that she's like letting you in on the joke and it's fun. And it's not a diss on Maslani, because she's trying her best and she's very charming. But it's just not playing the same way for me. It's just really it's just really grating, unfortunately.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: But yeah, I mean, like I said, we're halfway through. I mean, by the time you're hearing this, the show will be completed. That's how our backlog is going right now. But yeah, um hopefully it either I, I started to feel it with I think it's actually the fifth episode we're on with the copyright problems and the superhero costume. And I started the feel of the hangout vibes. Then I had a more fun time with that one than any of the four previous. But then it still ends with like a daredevil tease. It's like ugh, you can't escape the Marvel at all, can you? That's another. approach. No. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. I might warm up to it by the end, but I'm I'm not having, <laughs> enjoying it right now. But I'll I'll keep watching because it's fun to have discussions like this.
1: Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I think we can I think we can leave that yeah, yeah. One there. Um. What What would you care to give us, Kev?
0: Uh, sure. I will talk about Confess Fletch, which is a Hangout vibe as well, but I one I think is much more successful. Uh, Confess Fletch is not directly related to the Chevy Chase movie of the same name from the 80s, but rather is based off a different book in the same series. have not seen the Chevy Chase movie. My hot take, I guess, is Chase does not really do it for me outside of community. Um, but I was excited for this because I love John Hamm, who is taking over the role and it got some good reviews. So I buy it on VOD, throw it on, and it's so charming. It's a great murder mystery. Like Fletch is such like a fun PI character that you don't, like There's kinds of like mystery PI movies. You don't get anymore, we don't make them. And it's less about the mystery itself, which is a little too convoluted, but more about just like this character, like hanging out with like a bunch of other characters in the world they all have very distinct and fun personalities and i just think ham himself is just so locked in he is nailing one-liner after one-liner it could almost get grating how every other thing out of his mouth is some sort of witty repartee except ham is just selling it so well he has the perfect deadpan but will still also and almost a chatineering wait anyway, let his emotions rise when he's when it's time <laughs> for it um, he has the modulation down perfect and, yeah, I I guess Shatnerian in the inverse way, where he's, his baseline is uh, steady and neutral. But still, uh, he's so good at both being the one making jokes and the one being exasperated at the other people doing the jokes. I think he switches from those so well. I think uh, Roy Wood Jr. is so for the cop that's on his case that suspects Fletch of the murder. Of course, Fletch didn't do the murder. He's our friend. But <laughs> uh, he's really fun, as well as... Uh, and Aiden Maieri is his partner, a great discovery. I've been seeing her pop up in other comedic shows recently. She's amazing. Uh, you've got Annie Mumolo as uh, one of the witnesses, Kyle McLaughlin as another. Uh, I don't recognize many of the other people, sort of the suspects of the case, but they're all very fun personalities, just bouncing off ham. And then uh, John Slattery has like a couple scenes, like re- doing a little Mad Men reunion. And he's very fun. So, yeah, it's just, I don't know, I can't say ah oh, slam dunk home run one of the best movies of the year but it's just so fun and we don't get movies like this anymore it it makes me so nostalgic for the i mean like the fletches of old the, the thin man's if you want to go even older but just any kind of like or just like a mid-budget like fun vibe movie in general it's directed by greg M- mottola the super bad guy who has had kind of a rocky career since super bad i would say this is clears the bar of his second best film easily, <laughs> but it's it's got, he knows, that mo- he knows that mood very well. And yeah, I just have nothing but praise for it. I just think it's, you'll just pop it on and you'll remember some great lines from it, you'll remember some great moments. It might not stick with you forever, but you know, show it some support. <laughs> I wish we had cable so it should show up on TNT like every Sunday afternoon, you know? It's it's the it's the kind of thing you want to recapture in that sense.
1: Well, you know, th- th- there is a certain thing to be said for like movies they don't make anymore, and like anything which isn't either like a temple blockbuster or a quirky indie fest from the absolute arse end of uh, pretension. Like like, there's so much space mm. within that, and it's lovely to hear that there's a a good film which is uh, able to occupy that. And, you know, yeah. there's like. It's just entertaining is not an insult. That's a, such a great thing for a movie to be able to do. Yeah.
0: Um, I just wanted to quickly point out that it's probably out of theater. I'm definitely at theaters by the time you're listening to this. But we'll, it's pro- ho- yeah, definitely still on VOD and should be on Showtime for streaming. I believe they had some sort of exclusive agreement there. Uh, so you can, if you have a Showtime, watch it, give it that metric, rent it. I, just watch it, please. It's... I want them to make more of them basically. And it's a very selfish ask, but I would love more of these movies.
1: <laughs> Nothing wrong with being selfish so when it comes to recommendations. Um and yeah, um Carl, what would you care to recommend?
2: Uh I was going to throw out because the villainous Dr. Adams from this episode is a villainous senator in it, and also because at the time of this recording, uh Henry Silva had just passed away the day before. Uh the Manchurian candidate. Which uh, I have not actually seen in a good while, but it's one of mm-hmm. those that just sticks in your craws. Like, man, that's a great movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much I want to give away about it, but. What, what, what was the release
1: date of the Manchurian candidate? 64, 68? I think you're okay. I think you're past spoilers. I think <laughs> it's okay. Uh,
2: 62. Wow. So he was yeah. in this. That's kind of wild. That was before the Star Trek episode even aired. He was in that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess going from um, like movie second string, I I thought there was more of a division between movie and film back, then, or movies and t- television back then. But I guess yeah. good on him for <laughs> coming down to Star Trek.
2: Um. Anyway, if if you have not seen this movie and you want to be sold on it, uh, four words: Angela Lansbury is evil. That's yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: such a good performance from her oh, yeah. and yeah it's i think i'm mean, a hop on recommendation i think it is like trippier and more out yeah. there than i think you'd give a movie from the 60s credit for it's i think it's very bold it's very fun
2: the frankenheimer juice of just like some pure weirdness uh mm-hmm. also tack on seconds for if you like manchurian candidate seconds is even weirder <laughs>
1: I'm just I'm just gonna uh, second or th- is it third now? Um the the Angela Lansbury like like if all you know her from is is Murder She Wrote or whatever like she is so good she yeah. is so good in that movie and you just like you 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 become accustomed like Chatner you know I suppose in a way you become accustomed to people giving a particular kind of performance and then when you see them do something else and it's good it's like. Wow, where did that come from? And that's kind of Angela Lansbury and, yeah. the Man- and Manchurian Candidate. She's just breathtaking.
0: All right. I think that wraps up this episode. Uh, so, Carl, what would you
2: like to plug? Uh, I'll just plug my Twitter, Carl, at Carl in space. Uh, from there, you can also reach the Patreon for the thing I'm writing, which is called Song Frontier. Uh, it's very hard to summarize, but there's a log line <laughs> right there on the Pinned Twitter posts. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> All right. Fantastic. And then you can find us online. I am on Twitter at Kev koser K E V K O E S E R. And I also frequently guest on Rowan Kaiser's action movie podcast, Total Massacre. JG's writings are at www.jgmcquarie.scott. JG dot Scott. And his other podcast is Beatles Stuffology, going through Beatles track by track. And, yeah, you can find us on Twitter, at Trek to You, And I have an email that I need to keep remembering to check, and hopefully no one's written in yet, but (laughs) talkingtrek to You at gmail.com. And like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and whatever podcatcher you use to help other people find us. And since I did it out of order, I'm a little at sea, but I think that about sums it up.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. So, uh, fantastic. We can probably wrap things up there for now. Carl, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed the experience.
2: Yeah, great. Uh, I am very excited that you guys have Corbamite Maneuver next. That is a favorite of mine, so have fun with that one. It's awesome. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, well, we. that's exactly what we're going to be doing. <laughs> thank you for that, David. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing next. It's going to be the carbomite manoeuvre next week. And uh, we're going to be joined by my uh, Beatles Staphology co-host, Andrew Deacon, who is going to be our guest. So it's very much going to be a a meeting of the minds and and very much hopefully not a, a dagger of the mind. But I think we can probably leave things there for now. And next week, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking. Thank you.